We're starting a series about one of the worst words that have become common nowadays, unfriended. And uh, this wasn't a word 25 years ago. Like if you said unfriended people, I mean, it, it made sense, but it didn't make sense to people. And nowadays you say unfriended people instantly know what you're talking about. And really when we talk about the unfriended button on social media, we're talking about the offended button nine out of 10 times. It's you said something, you thought something, you did something that I, just doesn't sit with me, so therefore we can't be friends anymore. I have a buddy who's getting his doctorate in philosophy that was here in, in January and shared with you guys. And he had, on, his, on one of his social media pages, he had a, a guy he was friends with on, online. And this guy would rail on everything my philosophy friends said. I mean, he would post something and then automatically this other guy would just, just vitriol would come out and, and it would be a back and forth thing. And finally, my buddy decided to block him rather than unfriend him. And then that guy contacted him and said, why did you block me? Why don't you just go ahead and unfriend me? And he said, well, he said, because I still consider you extremely valuable as a person and I see your self-worth. I just hope that we can be friends one day. So I'm going to leave that bridge up. But the unfriended button is kind of burning a bridge. It's kind of saying, I don't want you in my life. And so we're going to talk about some of the, some of the topics related to the modern culture of offense and unfriending. So we'll, we'll talk just in general about friendship. We're going to talk about Conflict resolution. We actually have a guy coming in in a couple weeks that's going to, we'll just have a dialogue here in front of you that he's, he's, in my opinion, somewhat of an expert on conflict resolution. So we're just going to talk about how to resolve conflicts, that conflicts are inevitable. We're going to talk, I think, and some of this I may get to and I may not. This is the stuff I'm kind of planning on at this person. And I'm terrified of this topic of toxic relationships. But it's something we really need to talk about is when does the unfriended button become legitimate? Like at what point do you really need to walk away from a relationship? We're going to talk about abandonment or possibly talk about that. And then today we're talking about offense and talking about being offended. And so I just wanted to warn you right ahead that your amygdala is going to fire today. Uh, mine's fire, and I, I keep a little heart rate monitor on, and mine currently is at 100, which usually that's if I'm walking stairs. So I'm nervous about offending you guys today. I'm, uh, I'm offended at myself for offending you guys already, and I haven't even gotten started. But the amygdala is part of your limbic system. We've talked about that in, this, in here before. It's part of the brain and the nervous system and the hormone system. And if there is one word that you associate with the amygdala, it's the word fear. So it's the fight or flight part of your body. So when something happens that is scary or something that rubs you the wrong way and your body wants to respond to it, that amygdala is the thing that fires and kicks off that adrenaline and gets the heart racing and puts, you know, strength in your muscles and gets your blood pumping and allows you to run away. So if a bear comes out of the woods, the amygdala fires and saves your life, you hope. Well, what we've become is a culture that our amygdala fires over all kinds of stuff, some nonsensical and some important. And there's, there's just all kinds of stuff to get offended about. And so I'm going to try to fire you guys' as amygdalas, amygdalas up just a little bit right here. Maybe, maybe if you've got heart rate monitors on, you might watch it. But this is a picture of a gun show. Not this kind of gun show, but an actual gun show. And the, as soon as you start talking about guns, you start talking about gun rights. So you're talking about the right to carry or who should and shouldn't have guns. Now, some of you right now are already that amygdalas firing you're starting to think, oh, what's he going to say? Well, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to put guns on the screen and watch the heart rates increase. <laughs> but that's what happens. Now here, it, it gets worse, okay? Some of you are going to really freak out. This is a picture of two men holding hands in a church. <gasps> so we talk about gay rights, or we talk about gay right to marriage. And then some of you in here are like, wow, I can't believe a pastor would even put that on the screen in church. And you start to get offended that I would even talk about it. And then some of you are offended because there's other people in the church that even think that way. And then everybody gets offended. And all I did was put a picture on the screen of something that you can see walking down the street every day. 
but it's about our amygdala. It's about offense. And what offense is, is in a football game, the, there's the offense and the defense. And the offense is moving in on the defensive territory. And so there, there's, there's, there's a threat. And that's, that's what offense is. It's, in, in a lot of sense, we, we take it as a threat. And we see these pictures on the screen. Where, wherever you are on gun rights or wherever you are on gay marriage, just the thought of it being brought up puts us on the defensive. I must defend my position against the offensive position that is headed my way. Now, some, some people, just, just keep your mouth shut just for a minute, okay? Don't cheer, don't scream, don't boo, okay? Now, if I put a picture of our president on the screen, some of you are like, he's the savior of America. And some of you are like, I hate his guts. But the point is that on, no, matter, no matter what happens, if I put him on the screen and talk about him, whether I talk about him positively or negatively, those amygdalas start firing. Some of, I'll bet if you check your heart rates now, they've gone up since I started this little presentation here. People get fired up about this stuff. And then, of course, his, his opponent in the last election, if we put her up on the screen, the same thing. I see, I see some glares. I see some smiles. But when we talk politics, those amygdalas fire. And what we've become is a culture that is constantly judging offense. We're looking for someone who is trying to take back part of our side of the field. And we do it with all kinds of things. It's the things people say, which includes the advice people give. Try giving somebody parenting advice sometime. Unfriended. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. If you even try to help a brother out, they get offended. Places people go, the religions people follow, the clothes people wear, the stuff people do, and even the things people think. We become the thought police. We want everybody to think like us because the thoughts that other people have are offensive, and I must defend my thoughts. And what we've become is a culture of people whose amygdalas overact, overfire, and we're just fired up all the time and angry and willing to hit the unfriend button. And here's, here's the real problem. Just, let's, just, let's just lay it down. Here's, here's the real problem. The real problem is God created people. And there's lots and lots of them with lots and lots of ideas. Everybody look at my son, Juddy, again. Every I turn in that direction, so we'll, we'll just take a moment. He, he is adorable, and he has a mullet, so he's worth looking at. But he sees mom and he just calms down immediately. That's awesome. But God created people, people with free wills, people with ideas, people with different perspectives, different races, different cultures, different societies. And there's always going to be conflict. conflict. We view conflict as a negative thing. Well, conflict is really oftentimes just a great opportunity to learn and grow. But we don't learn it that way. We look at it as an opportunity to unfriend someone and to get offended. It's really interesting, when Jesus chose his disciples, he chose a couple people that were totally on op. They, they were the Trumps and Clintons of the world. You had Matthew, the tax collector, and Simon the Zealot. Now, the Zealots wanted to overthrow the Roman government. I mean, they wanted the, the, the Jewish people to rise up and defeat the Romans and drive them out of society. Whereas the tax collectors served the Roman government, worked under their umbrella, and kind of took from the Jewish people in a sense, which is why they were so hated. But when Jesus went around and he chose his personal disciples... The people to walk with him, he chose one from both camps. It's pretty crazy if you think about it. He put them, back, he put them in camps and walked around the whole area with them and let things unfold and wasn't freaked out by that. There's a pretty famous Christian pastor named Stephen Furtick uh, nowadays that said this. He said, offense is an event. Offended is a decision. And so what that means is you're going to see all, all kinds of things in your life that are offensive to you, meaning they kind of invade your territory. 
They, they kind of go against the, the territory you've already taken or what you believe. They, they rub you the wrong way. That's natural. That's normal. And that can be very, very healthy. That's how we learn. That's how we grow. No pain, no gain type stuff. But what happens is people get a hold of a fence, the event, and they turn it into a condition, a characteristic, a personality trait. And, there, and some, some people in here, stuff, man, it rolls off you like water on a duck. I mean, you, you, just, you just don't much get offended. I, I have a feeling that Jesus was a lot like that. But there's some people in here, and there's some people that will listen to our podcast and watch our videos, that you just walk around offended all the time. You're just always mad at somebody for something, something they did, something they said, something they believe, some advice they gave you, some way they neglected you, you didn't get the promotion. Whatever it is, you're just mad all the time. That's just an extremely unhealthy way to live life. You guys have probably heard the uh, little parable of the, of the two dogs. And I, I try to avoid too many guidepost-type illustrations in here. But it's the, it's the story of two dogs that enter a room, one at a time. And one dog comes out happy and his tail's wagging and his, his tongue's hanging out and he's, all, and he's bouncing up and down. And the second dog goes in the room and comes back out and he's, he's just mad, just, just really upset. And somebody goes into the, room, into the room to find out what did these dogs see. And what the room is filled with is a hundred mirrors. And so the happy dog goes in and sees a hundred happy dogs looking back at him and increases his happiness. But the angry dog goes in and sees a hundred angry snarling dogs looking at him, back at him. And he, just, he leaves just more angry and snarling than he was before. And this is the state of the offended. If, you, if, if, you, if offense is a characteristic of yours, if it's something that you embrace and carry around with you all day you're going to turn into a snarling dog and there's not much to be done about it. And that's what you're going to see all the time. In every person, everywhere, in every circumstance, in every political rally, in every newscast, you're going to see something to be angry about because you are angry. And I think that's something God wants to change in us. I quoted uh, Christopher Hitchens, the atheist, recently, and that's something people get offended about. How could you quote an atheist? Well, because some atheists, all atheists, have something good to say, and Christopher Hitchens had something really great to say. He was, he, he was at a, a, uh, at a debate and, and brought this story up. And he says, when Dr. Samuel Johnson had finished the first real English dictionary, so he's telling the story about the guy who first wrote an English dictionary. He says he was visited to, by a whole bunch of delegations, but one was the London's Respectable Womanhood. I can imagine that organization. They, they drink their tea like this, right? London's Respectable Womanhood. And they said to him, Dr. We want to congratulate you on your decision to exclude all indecent words from your dictionary. This was his response. And he said, ladies, I congratulate you on your persistence in looking them up. <laughs> he goes on and says, if people are determined to be offended, if they will climb up on the ladder, balancing it precariously on their own toilet cistern, to be upset by what they see through their neighbor's bathroom window, there's nothing you can do about it. Some people are just looking to be offended. They're just looking for something to rub them the wrong way so that they can try to exert some kind of power over those people. And it's just not a healthy way to live. I'm going to touch briefly on some ways that offense hurts us, and then I have a couple that I really want to nail down. One is that offended hurts conversation. And what happens when you're offended is you don't hear the rest of the conversation and you don't listen to learn, you listen to respond. You've probably heard that if you've ever heard about listening before. That's not why we listen. We don't listen 
to respond to people, we listen to learn. And when offense is part of your life and you're easily offended, you're, you're, you're highly emotional or irritable or angry all the time, when somebody says something who, that rubs you the wrong way, you don't get where they're coming from. You don't hear their perspective. I heard a CIA re- agent recently talking about how uh, there was an interview and they asked the agent, what have you learned in your 20 years in the CIA? And what she said was, she said, I've learned that everyone thinks they're the good guy. Whether it's somebody from ISIS or somebody from the U.S. military or any, any place anywhere else in the world, everybody has these universal things they think are important and they fight for. And, and that's something we can, we can parse out and think about later. But here's, the, the reality is that if you get easily offended, you don't hear the other person. You don't take the time to listen to their perspective, try to learn from them. And now, I'm not saying the other person can't be wrong. I'm not even saying what they said wasn't offensive or rude or mean. But what I am saying is that you don't get to understand them if that amygdala fires and you allow that, your limbic system to continue to fire, it, you just tune people out and you don't listen. And if you don't listen, your relationships are hurt. We, are, we were put on this planet to be in relationships. You were designed as a relational being. You are a creation for relationships. Relationships with God, relationships with people. And if you're offended all the time and you don't listen and you don't hear people, then you don't get to know people. People can't become transparent to you and relationships can't thrive. Offense ruins relationships. It also inhibits learning. It stifles learning. This is a place called Hyde Park in London, England. If if you ever get to London and you miss Hyde Park, you've really missed an experience. Hyde Park is a place where street preachers get up from every different philosophy of life, every different religion, and they preach, and, and crowds gather. And it's just fascinating. So you'll have, you'll have a, a Muslim on one corner, an atheist on another, a Jew on one corner, a, or a Judaic believer on one corner, and a Christian on another corner, and they're all yelling something, and people are gathering around, listening, asking questions, the speakers are speaking back. I mean, it's a madhouse, but it's beautiful, and it's really incredible. It's an awesome opportunity to talk to a whole lot of people from a whole, different, a whole lot of views. But if you are the kind that's offended and you walk through there, you're going to pick your tribe. You're going to pick who it is that you closely connect with and who you align with. And that's what we do with offenses. We align with certain people and then we draw lines and say, you're not in this camp. But if you walk through there and you're a person of offense, you're just going to get offended at the people saying something different than yourself. And that keeps you from learning. You'll never understand why a Muslim believes what they believe if you won't listen to a Muslim. You'll never understand all kinds of things if you just walk around mad all the time instead of trying to understand. And, of course, that perpetuates war. There was no war that was ever fought that didn't revolve around offense. It didn't revolve around someone somewhere getting upset about somebody doing something and then cultures taking sides. And I'm not saying in this world that war isn't inevitable sometimes. I have a lot of thoughts on that topic. But I'm saying the whole trickle-down effect of never listening to somebody, always being offended, turns into battles between people. And it's not the way the world was designed. And then finally, this is where I want to camp out. I did a Tough mutter a couple years ago. I know you were looking at me thinking, he's the kind of guy that does a Tough mutter." And why would you laugh at that? And one of the events, so it's about a 13-mile, 12-mile trek. It depends on where you do it. But one of the events is called the Wounded Warrior. And in the Wounded Warrior, you're usually about eight or nine miles in, and you've already climbed a lot of slopes and you know, scrambled through a lot of holes and jumped off of high places into water and climbed cargo nets. And so you're at mile nine, and you're really exhausted. 
And what they make you do is they make you pick up one of your partners and put them on your back and carry them for, I think it's 100 yards, it might be 50 yards, and then you swap positions and carry the next 100 or 50 yards. I don't remember the exact distance. But it's, that, that part, it was kind of fun, but it was, it was pretty brutal after nine miles and, I don't know, 20 obstacles. But here's what happens with a fence. You are putting all these people on yourself. Ecclesiastes, which was written by the wisest man that ever lived, Scripture describes him as, says, Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. There are foolish people out there. There are mean people out there. There are hateful people and rude people out there. There are people with terrible ideas. There are people with great ideas. There's all kinds of people. If you go back to that massive crowd, there's all kinds of people. But here's what we do when we're offended. We take the fools, we take the people who are angry, we take the people who are mean, and we put them on our backs and we carry them. We don't just leave them where they are and keep moving, but we make them a part of us. And after eight or nine miles of walking through life carrying one person, let alone 30 people, let alone 100 people, all the people who ever said anything negative to you, whoever gave you advice that wasn't asked for, anybody who ever believed something you didn't believe, and you carry those people all around all the time, then anger is residing in your lap, and that makes you a fool. It's not just that they're foolish, rah, 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 I'm so mad at them, it's that that's what you are becoming. You're becoming what they are, and you're allowing them to weigh you down and hold you down. There's a book I want to recommend, and I'm basically going to plagiarize this book for the rest of the service. It's called Unoffendable by Brant Hansen. And the concept of this book, he says how just one change can make all of life better. And his argument, and we won't get into whether his argument is right or wrong necessarily today, but his argument is that you can choose not to be offended. That unoffendable is a state that people can enter. You can just choose. You can make a decision that what you do, what the fools do, what the angry people do, what the people of different political persuasions do, they're not going to affect me and own me. But instead, I can learn from them. I can argue against them. But I don't have to carry it with me all the time. I don't have to walk around like the angry, snarling dog. And he talks about, he's, he's a fairly famous radio host at this point, and he gets all kinds of emails and all kinds of letters and all kinds of phone calls from people that are just ticked off at what he has to say. And in, 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 in his book, he describes a couple different options to a blog post that he might receive. So he says this. He says, at 4.10 p.m. one day, I see an insulting comment from Bob317 on the blog. Now, here's, here's one option that he can go towards. So for five minutes, he thinks about it. He stews about it. And then at 4.20, he crafts this amazingly thorough, literate, snarky reply to set Bob 371 straight. He hits the submit button and walks away with a drop-the-mic style, smug and cool. He returns to his computer to delete his smug reply because he's thought about it for a while. Then he sees that somebody has already replied to his smug reply. But he del deletes his reply anyway, and he writes another. And he eats dinner with his family, but he's distracted because he's bugged by the comments on his blog. Then he decides it doesn't matter what people say, he was right. But then he sees another blood-boiling response from the big jerk, formerly known as Bob371. So he's changing Bob's call sign. He decides to write something sort of nice, but still, you know, makes his point. Now he sees a new comment, and this one's from somebody he respects, someone else whom I respect. He thinks I was being a jerk in my original comment, so I respond to that person via email to apologize, but not really because the jerk formerly known as Bob371 is a bigger jerk. 
He writes another comment and commences stewing about the whole thing until 1.30 a.m. And a lot of us, this is how we respond to stuff. Stuff that happens, stuff that people say, advice they give, is we stew about it, we conjure a response. How, I mean, how many letters have you written in your mind that you never hit send on? I, I, if you're anything like me, there's been a bunch. I should have said this, or I could say this, or I could say that. Or can you believe, how dare they say what they said to me? And, and even over dinner with our family that we should be enjoying, what we're doing is stewing about what somebody did, said, or thought. He says, here's option number two. Number one, he sees this insulting comment from Bob371 on his blog at 410, and instead, he thanks him for the comment, points out what he appreciates about it, and if he wants to continue the conversation, fine, but otherwise, it really doesn't matter. And so at 420, he goes and plays Madden football with his daughter. He gets beat 75 to nothing, and then he eats dinner with the family and laughs about stuff. Which is healthy? I mean, isn't the second, it's, it's the unoffendable option. It says, hey, you're going to think different than I do. You're, gonna, you're not going to like everything I have to say or everything that I am, but that's okay. We're human beings, and we all feel that way about each other in one way or another, and I'm just not going to lose sleep over it. It's about, it's about having kind of a thick skin, and it's about not carrying the weight of offense with us all the time. And here's a, I have another point, but I wanted to throw in a little PS, and the PS is this. The easily offended people are really, really, really hard to get along with. And actually, they're kind of unloving. And if you're a person that carries offense all the time, you might think, people don't like me. Well, it's probably because they don't like you. <laughs> if you're easily offended all the time, no, everybody feels like they have to walk on pins and needles around you. Everybody feels like they just have to be careful about what they say, or you're going to go off again, or you're going to go stew again, or you're just going to you know, get more and more angry. And people you have to walk on pins and needles around are just not fun. And if you're not fun, here's a way to change that. Learn how to be unoffendable. Uh, buy the book. Buy Brant Hansen's book and read it and apply it to your life. I'm going to move on before I lose all of you and your heart rates. Make your walking monitors start beeping at me. That would be really funny right now, wouldn't it? Somebody's wristwatch is set to go off at like 120. Beep, beep. And now we know who you are. So when I'm preparing a sermon... I walk and pace and I go to the pond and I walk around the pond and I walk in my basement and, and, and think. And, and uh, <laughs> this is maybe a little embarrassing to say, but when, when I thought this line this week, I was literally in my basement making home run. With, I mean, with my body, I was like, that's a home run, yes. And I'm crying and I'm like, whoa, God, yeah, that's it. That's it right there, right? I'm like, home run, yes. And when we, when we get offended... The bottom line is that we're completely misrepresenting what God's heart is because he's not a God that holds offense. Man, we're all doomed if he is. But what we find in Scripture is this God that no matter who you are, no matter what you believe, no matter what you've done, adores you and chases after you. He, does, he doesn't say, all right, you're done now, pal. He doesn't turn his back on you. That's what you see consistently throughout Scripture. James 1, 19 through 20 says this about what Christians ought to look like. It says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. The cross, the sacrifice of Jesus for us shows us. It's, scripture teaches that while we were yet sinners, it says... God gave up his life for us. You see, while you were the offender, while you were the one moving in on God's territory and doing stuff that kind of ruined his enterprise, 
he reached out his arms to you. This is, this is God's posture towards you at all times. Till the very end, when you're, when you're long gone and keep on going, this is his posture towards you, and it never changes. He's a God that doesn't get offended. He's a God that doesn't turn away from you. And if we're going to replicate the character of God, we have to learn how to be unoffended. In his book, Brant tells a few stories, and I'm going to share a couple of them with you very quickly. One of them was that he was called in as a guest baseball announcer, and he, he did some minor league stuff and some major league prep games and things like that. But apparently he was called in to substitute for this other guy whose name was John. And he describes John this way. He says, John is a class act. He arrives at each game impeccably dressed, highly organized, and briefcase in hand. He's polished. He's polite. He's clean. He's smooth. He's successful. He's also a professing Christian. So this is the guy he's called in as a substitute for at this baseball game. And then he describes this other guy who he changes his name, but he calls him Bill. He says, Bill is John's polar opposite. He's a grizzled former player whose life has taken some twists and turns for the worst. He's boisterous and foul. His language is remarkably crude, pornographic even. He's very tough to take. And he knew about this guy, Bill, and he knew going into it that this guy was boisterous and pornographic-ish in his speech and wasn't sure how to take him. And he, it says, he says he's, real, he's tough to take. And so, so Brant is, is maybe somewhere in the middle of these two guys. But he struck up a conversation with Bill, and Bill asked him, so you're subbing in for John? And, and, and Brant says, yeah, I'm, I'm subbing for John today. He goes, well, let me tell you something about John. And Brant thought, oh, boy, here it comes. I mean, he's going to lambast John. And this is what the guy says about John. Bill was actually tearing up. You know what, he went on, that guy is really good to me. And he just treats everyone the same up here, all of us the same, the interns, me, the stadium manager, everybody. He just treats us like he loves us. And Rant said that when he quoted Bill in this conversation, he had to edit out a whole uh, laces of profanity. So he just a pro pro profanity-laced conversation about how great John is because he loves us all. And then Bill went on to talk about how John, he said, he said you know what John did a, a little while ago? And Brant said, what? What did he do? And he, he says, he brought me a plaque. And, and John apparently had gone off and found some magazine covers that Bill was on with his teammates. And he had taken them and he had somehow permanently placed them in this wall hanging and, and created this plaque for Bill just to tell him he appreciated him and honored him. And this was Brant's conclusion. He says, my instinct, and I'm sure the instincts of many in Bill's life, was to tell Bill to shut up or at least watch his mouth, or get his act together, or maybe I could ignore him. But John, John went and bought him a plaque. John made him a plaque. And it's a different response. It's, you know, we're not the morality police. We're not in control of everybody's lives around us. What we can do is view people the inestimable worth that they carry, the inestimable worth that they have that was endowed in them by their creator. We can see them as valuable. We can see past what we see and see something else. And that's how John was. John said, you're valuable and I want to honor you. And when he did so, Bill and all his, his co-workers recognized there's something different about John. John isn't offended by me. John doesn't look at me and think bad. Instead, he sees me as valuable. He tells another story about a guy named Michael. And Michael, uh, in, in a larger city here in America, bought a downtown building that he was converting into a coffee shop and art house. And... Uh, art museum or art display area. What's the right word here? Art house. Art house sounds like outhouse, and that sounds terrible. What is it? Gallery. That's what I said, gallery. So, so he, he was turning it into an art gallery. And 
Apparently, the people who had used the building before as an art gallery were people that used what, he, what Brandt described as transgressive art. He doesn't describe what the art is. But uh, Michael's plan was to convert this building into kind of a, a, a coffee shop, meeting area, community center, art gallery, but one that would carry his faith ideals, which was Christianity. So he was a Christian guy, and he planned on bringing in planned on bringing in Christian speakers and Christian music artists and, and Christian visual artists. And, and uh, he was approached by some people who had used the building before to use it as an art gallery. And he said that their art was a, type, a transgressive type of art. That's the only way he describes it. But the, the, the gallery and the art show was raising funds for AIDS awareness. And apparently a lot of the people in the community thought that he shouldn't be doing this with those people. Um, that, that those were bad people, that the art was embarrassing, and, and that, he, he should, you know, that he should have no part of it. And if this was a Christian building and a Christian operation, that he ought to just tell them no. But Michael did things completely differently. Michael got himself a tux. And Michael shows up at the art show. He says, absolutely, you can use my building. Of course you can. And they're blown away by this. Well, I, 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 I thought you were Christians. I can't imagine that you would even let us do this. He says, of course, you know, you're, you're valuable. You're wonderful. Come on in. He invites them in, he dresses up in a tux, he serves them chocolate-covered strawberries and wine. He buys the wine, he buys the strawberries, and some of you are offended that I even use the word wine. I'm, I, I don't drink myself, I, I wouldn't give wine to people. And I, I realize there's different perspectives on that in here. But this is what Michael does. I'm just describing what Michael does. Michael buys wine, big selection of wine, strawberries, chocolate-covered strawberries. He greets people at the door, he hugs them as they come in, and the organization tells him afterwards this was by far the best event we've ever hosted. And this is what Brant said about that organization, about that event. He said he hugged everybody. He talked freely about Jesus, but people didn't mind. He told me he could talk just about people about the goodness of God because he knew deep down that everyone is yearning for a God like that. And this is, this is the kicker. We're representing God as followers of his name. And if we represent God as an angry, I'm always offended by everything you're doing, by who you are, we're not representing God well. But if we say, you are valuable, you are my child, you are important to me, and that comes out of us at all times, people get to see and finally get to see an accurate representation of who God is and what God is like. And it, he, he talks about a Wiccan lady, a, a person who practices the, the religion or faith of Wicca, who, li who lives close by. And this person would come to Michael's coffee shop all the time. And she doesn't want much to do with Christians, and, it, and, and rightly so. Christians have always said, bad, bad, you dress in black, what's wrong with you? But she says, I come into his coffee house, and he always hugs me when I come in, and I know he loves me. We don't see eye to eye on everything, but I know Michael loves me. And that's what I'm talking about here, is if you're always offended by somebody, by what they wear, by what they think, by what they are, by who they are, how are they ever going to see a God who doesn't think that way about them? And this is what he says about that event. He says, Christians in the community wanted Michael to be offended, to draw another line in the sand. You're supposed to get angry and maybe even picket those kinds of people. Michael fed them strawberries. So John buys a plaque for Bill. Michael feeds strawberries to the attendants at a transgressive art display. And the reason I am hitting home runs in my basement thinking about this is because I see that as the heart of God. That is the heart and the, the, the characteristics of the God who died on a cross for people. He sees them as valuable. He desires them to know how crazy he is about them. And we represent him as Christians 
Part of what Christian means, Christ follower, little Christ. As Christians, we're supposed to represent him. I was going to ask you if anybody knew what I consider the scriptural battle cry of Daylight Church, and then I put it on the screen before I even had the chance to ask. So does anybody have any guesses right now what, what passage I would consider our battle cry? You know, people want to know, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? What do you think about this? What do you think about that? And, and maybe we do disagree on stuff. But the thought in our mind and the, the, the feeling in our hearts and, and the, the, the way that we see people, in my opinion, ought to be centered around this concept. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You think the Wiccan girl would... I mean, what do you, honestly, what do you, what do you think? The, the people who attended Michael's art display, the people who... The, the, Bill, who, who got the plaque from John, is there more of a chance of them recognizing a good and loving father now that they've seen that from other people or... Or, or no? I'm, th- I'm thinking once they've seen it from somebody, maybe God can start to come into focus a little bit. And maybe we can start to le- learn a little bit about ourselves and just how offensive we are and how offended we are at other people. And maybe we'll start to get things right with God just a little bit better. Romans 4.17 says this, God, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. If we're going to think like God, if we're going to be like God, if we're going to walk like Jesus, smell like Jesus, act like Jesus, we have to be able to look past what is now. We have to be able to... So, so, there's, so you got a coworker that, because of your, Christian sens- your delicate Christian sensibilities, maybe I'll step on you a little bit here, but I'm okay with that. You're, this person is just offensive to you because of the language they use or the jokes that they tell or the stuff that they do after work. God can look at that person and see something past all of that. God can see the incredible, unbelievable worth and value of that person's soul and that person's heart. And that's what God sees. And I'm of the opinion that the more we become like Jesus, the more we follow him, that that's how we start to see people as well. And when you see people like that, offense becomes much, much more difficult. Next week, we're going to talk about how do you do this, how... How do you get past offense and actually work towards it? This, is, this has been more of a setup for the practical stuff that we'll talk next week, talk about next week. But here's, here's, the, here's the, the core issue, in my opinion, is every single person of, is, is of infinite value, no matter what you see now. And to be able to see that infinite value past what you see now is a gift from God that we should all look for and ask for and allow to invade our lives.